going to step into a new series today called Holy Spirit Come. I want to kind of set this up for you a little bit because if you've been at Harvest very long, you know our MO is we're normally doing expository preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? And and what do I do with that as a result in my life? And uh, we believe in that. We believe there's power in preaching that way through the Word of God. Um, However, this year, our theme has been Firm Foundation. And building a firm foundation in our faith and in the Bible and in in the gospel so that we're able to walk out our faith um, with each other and with the Lord, but even in a world that doesn't have that, doesn't know those things that God has given us. And um, and so we've been walking through lots of stuff this year. We've done a prayer series. We've done the incarnation. We did a series in the gospel. Just a lot of big, bolder, big rock kind of things that we need to know for our faith. And the next one I want us to hit on today is the Holy Spirit. But if you've studied your Bible much, if you know anything about, uh, you know, Scripture like that, there's not like one book to go to for the Holy Spirit, right? There's not like one passage. We're like, all right, all the Holy Spirit stuff's right here. So we're going to have to do it a little bit different. This is a doctrinal series more than a expository series. So I'm going to be pulling lots of Scriptures from all over the place to kind of pull together all the information that we have on who is the Holy Spirit and what does that mean for our lives and how can we walk with Him. Okay, so a little bit different setup, but still we're going to be in the Word of God. I'm going to flood you with Scripture today to help you see it in God's Word for yourself. So grab your Bibles with me. If you're a guest, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs. You can grab one of those. Um, I am also going to have a lot of Scripture up on the screen for you um, because it's going to be hard to flip around. But if you really want to test your, you know, your old sword drill uh, skills, you can, you can try to keep up in your own copy there. Um, but we'll put a lot of it on the, uh, on the screen for you as well to help you follow along that way. So today, we're going to start with Meet the Holy Spirit is the first sermon this morning. And here's what I want to talk about because Christians tend to gravitate to one extreme or the other when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You have some that they go full experience. They pursue an experience with the Holy Spirit without any connection to the Word of God, really. Right? And so they'll look for things like for God to speak to them through different voices or through signs in their life. Or they'll try to like, line up all these circumstances that have happened and be like, all right, God's telling me something through these circumstances. Or he's stirring this in my own heart and he's speaking directly to me. And God does some of that, but not apart from his word. Right? That's, the, the word is still primary. But then you have the other end of the spectrum where people will be all about the word of God. And, and obeying the Word of God and studying the Word of God, but without any real interaction with or any real dependence on the Spirit as they're going to the Word of God. It's kind of like they know He's there because they read the book and the book says that. They know He's there, He's hanging out, He's somewhere in the background, maybe even inside of them, but they don't really have any interaction with Him. They don't really know Him in any real way. It's kind of like, it's kind of like my pituitary gland. Like, I know it's there, I know it's doing something, it's keeping me alive somehow, it's, it's, but I don't have any interaction with it. Like, I, I, don't, like I don't talk to it, it doesn't talk to me, thankfully. Um, it, it's, just, it's just there doing its thing in the background. A lot of people think of the Holy Spirit like that, okay? He's there, he's working, but I don't really know anything about him. And both of those approaches are lacking, right? The, it's all about experience is lacking, the, it's all about the word is lacking, Because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are inseparable. They work hand-in-hand together in the lives of believers. 
And so we want to dive into that. We want to see that because if we try to disconnect them from one another, we end up with dysfunctional Christianity. And we don't want that. We don't want that for our lives. We don't want that for our church. We want to be walking with the Holy Spirit and understanding the Holy Spirit in a biblical and God-honoring way. And so that's going to be our goal. That's going to be our effort over the next several weeks as we walk through this series. But before we can even get to all of it, first we just have to answer this very basic question for each one of us. Have you met the Holy Spirit? Have you met Him personally? Not like have you heard some things about Him or you know, you, there was some teaching or you read this thing one time. But have you met the person of the Holy Spirit? Okay? And we're gonna, I'm going to unpack this for you in three different areas today about who he is and what that means for us as believers. So number one, point number one today is this. The Holy Spirit is eternally God. The Holy Spirit is eternally God. So for this, we're going all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see here from the very beginning that the Holy Spirit was present. He existed before creation, right? Because it starts off that in the beginning, God. Like that statement alone is is super impactful. What it's saying is that before anything else existed, God. He was the original. He was eternal. He was the one that was here before anything else was here. And therefore, because in the beginning God, God created. Everything that's ever been created came from Him. Because there is no other source before Him in which to create anything. He is it. He is the eternal God. And then we get to this part. It says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit of God there is synonymous with the Holy Spirit. And so we see here from the very beginning that the Holy Spirit was God and is fully God. He is present with God in creation, and he's doing some part of the work. Right? He's in it, he's, he's helping with this creation process in a way that the Bible doesn't fully scientifically explain to us, because by the way, the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It's a revelation of who God is. He's saying, hey, I'm spirit, and I was there, and I was creating things, right? And so we see from the very beginning here that the Holy Spirit has existed as a member of the Trinitarian Godhead from eternity past. We believe that there's one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All equally God, and all have equally um, been in existence and present from the beginning. And so here, we see that with the Holy Spirit starting before creation. But then as we start to walk into human history in the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit show up again. He shows up in different ways. Actually, throughout the Old Testament, we'll see him, sometimes he'll come and go. He'll show up in varying ways with different people to accomplish certain tasks that God has given him to do through his people and through certain leaders. So let me give you some examples of that from Scripture. Romans, I'm sorry, not Romans. That's not Old Testament. Uh, Numbers 27, 18. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So here we have God talking to Moses. He's saying, hey, listen, I've given my Spirit, I've given the Holy Spirit to Joshua. 
as a special indwelling to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. So it's time for you to hand off the mantle, all right? Give Joshua leadership so he can do what I've called him to do because he has the Holy Spirit in him to do it. So that was a special dispensation of the Holy Spirit there. 1 Samuel 10.10, another example. It says, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group, of, a group of prophets met him. Him here is Saul. And it says, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. So this is right before Saul becomes the first king of Israel. God's already called him. Samuel said, hey, you're going to be the guy. But Saul's not sure. Something, like, so God's going to prove it by sending his spirit onto Saul to prophesy in this miraculous way to show, like, yeah, this is really my guy. This is who I've called to be king. So we see the Holy Spirit work in a specific way there in Saul's life. Later on in 1 Samuel, another example, verse 16, I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 13, says, Then Samuel, same guy, took the horn of oil and anointed him, this time it's not Saul, it's David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. See the difference? Saul, he came, he prophesied, Spirit left. David, the Spirit came and confirmed, yes, he is the next king, and then the Spirit was with him from that day forward. That was unusual in the Old Testament, which explains why David was such a godly, magnificent king for God's people for so long. He had the Holy Spirit leading him through that process in a special way. And we could go all throughout the Old Testament, lots of other scriptures, that don't, they don't necessarily explicitly call out the Holy Spirit like these do, but we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in people and working in God's leaders to accomplish great supernatural things for God and for his kingdom. And so we see the, the presence of the Holy Spirit all throughout the Old Testament in varying ways and in varying um, works that he's doing in and through God's people. So he's there before creation. He's there in those early days of creation, human history. And then we get to the New Testament, and we see that he's present with Jesus in the New Testament as well. This is one of my favorite passages right here for the Trinity. Look at Matthew 3, 16 through 17. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So here, at Jesus' baptism, this is the clearest picture that we have of all three members of the Trinity present and active at the same time. You have God the Son being baptized, coming up out of the water. You have God the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, it says. And then you have God the Father speaking from heaven and saying, Behold, my Son, in whom I am well pleased. All three members working in concert right here. And John the Baptist, who was there baptizing Jesus, witnessed the whole thing. Over in John 1.32, he says this. He says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Interesting. It's, it's language almost like David, right? And the reason John is saying that is because that wasn't normal, right? This is an unusual act here for the Holy Spirit at this time in salvation history. The Holy Spirit didn't stay with people. He didn't remain in people at this point in time. He would come, he would do the work, he would leave. But with Jesus, it says he remained on him. And we see the evidence of this in the following passages, like Luke chapter 4. 
It says, right after he gets baptized, it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's still with him, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Now, you may be familiar with this. Jesus is led by the Spirit, so the Spirit tells him, Hey, go out here, and he's going to allow him to be tempted by Satan himself for 40 days. And a lot of times we'll read that and we'll be like, well, yeah, he was tempted, but I mean, he was God, right? So like, was he really tempted? Like, like he, he had the power, he didn't have, like, but Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way like us. And we have to understand that he was fully human. And when he became fully human, he was still fully God, but he did choose to set aside parts of his divinity for that human experience. And I believe what the scripture is saying right here is that the Holy Spirit is with him and leading him, meaning he needed the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation, just like we need the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. This wasn't some special power in him because he was still God. This was him living out the human experience and being fully tempted and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to keep him walking sinless before the Lord. We see further evidence in Luke chapter 4, going down further in verse 18, 19. He goes to the synagogue and he takes the scroll, Isaiah 61, and he starts to read. And Look what he reads. He says, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, Jesus is saying, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm able to fulfill all these messianic prophecies is because the Holy Spirit has come upon me. Again, it wasn't just Jesus himself. It was the power of the Holy Spirit working through him to do what God had called him to do. We see it keep going. Luke chapter 4, verse 36, and verse 40 and 41. It shows that he displays the power of the Holy Spirit as he's casting out demons and casting out evil spirits from people who are afflicted. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, 17, it specifically says, it says the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Not that he had his own power to heal, but the power of the Lord was with him. It was something outside of him that was with him, that was giving him the ability to do these miraculous healings. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that was remaining on him as he walked through his ministry. And so we see the Holy Spirit before creation, we see him throughout the Old Testament, we see him even in the New Testament with Jesus leading up to the resurrection. You know, I think oftentimes in our lives, we can end up taking things for granted. Just in, it's just kind of like human nature, right? Like we kind of just get used to certain things, and we just kind of go through our day, and it's just there working in the background, no big deal. Last week, Courtney called me one day, and she was going to the girls' school, and she was all in a tiz, because one of our vehicles... Um, had stopped going in reverse. Like she like put it in reverse, hit the gas, and it just, like not, no movement. It was just stuck. And we were like, that's a problem, right? You don't reverse a lot. Like you would definitely go forward more than you go in reverse in your vehicle. But if you can't reverse, that's an issue, right? You get stuck real quick. And most of the time, you don't ever think about it, right? Because it's just, it just works. And it's just there, and you just do your thing, and you drive around, and it's all good. But as soon as it's not there, you notice, big time. For a lot of people, that's like the Holy Spirit. He's always there, he's always working, he's always in the background, 
And we just kind of take it for granted that his power is always going to be there. But I can promise you this. If the Holy Spirit stopped working, the whole world would notice real quick. That power is necessary for us to walk with Jesus, to follow him. Thankfully, the Bible also tells us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the fact that we know that the Holy Spirit has always been working tells us that he always will be working, right? The Holy Spirit always has been working, so we can trust he always will be working in our church, in our world, in our lives, in the lives of others around us. And so by knowing that he is eternally God, we can walk with him and in his power, knowing that he will never fail us or let us down. He is eternally God. Second thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is better than Jesus. Now some of you are like, what? Did I hear, did I, did I hear that right? That sounds heretical. I know. Stay with me. All right? Listen to these scriptures. John 16, 7. He says, Never, this is Jesus talking, by the way. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus just told his followers, it is better. It is better for you that I leave and the Holy Spirit comes. That he's going to be a better source for you. He's going to be more of what you need to follow me and to live this life before the Lord. Now, it sounds crazy to us, right? Because I know we've all had this thought. We're like, man, if I was there with the disciples, if I got to be with Jesus... They got to sit around the fire and do the Bible studies and go to lunch with Jesus and watch him. Like, surely I would be a better Christian if I was with Jesus. Because, I mean, it's, it's Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, it's better for me to leave and the Holy Spirit to come. Pastor J.D. Greer said it like this. I thought he said it perfectly. He says, the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Having the Holy Spirit living inside us 24-7, that power tapped in to everything about our life is better, it's more powerful, it's more effective than having Jesus in the flesh beside us as a human. Some of y'all are still skeptical. I can see it in your eyes. So I'm going to give you some more verses. First of all, the Holy Spirit brings greater power to our lives. Look at this in John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine. This is Jesus talking again. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, like, listen, you need a better source if you're going to do this thing and follow me. Right? He says, I need to abide in you. Now, abide literally means to live in, to dwell inside. That's what abide means. And how does Jesus live inside us? Through the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, Paul says, and it comes and it lives inside of us. It abides in us. Jesus could be a great model for us on the outside, 
But the Holy Spirit can come and live inside. That's why he's a greater source of power for us. And so he says, if we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear much fruit. That we can do more things, that we can do greater things for the Lord because the Holy Spirit is abiding in us than we could without him. He goes so far to say this, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? Like, do you believe, do you believe the nerve of Jesus? He's like, you can do nothing. And you're like, really, Jesus, nothing? He's like, yeah, nothing. You got diddly squat without me. No spiritual power means no spiritual fruit in our lives. We can do nothing of spiritual significance, nothing spiritually for the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why, like, when you read the, the, the Gospels, you ever notice how the disciples can get totally off track? We're like, you're with Jesus. Like, how are you messing this up? How do you not get this? But if you read really closely, anytime they're actually with Jesus in his presence and he's directing things and he's teaching, they're, all, they're, they're, they're locked in. It's all good. It's when he sends them off by themselves or when they're trying to do it on their own that they mess it up, right? It's because they don't have the Spirit yet. They were completely reliant on Jesus' words in that moment to keep them following God. They did not have the Spirit inside of them to lead them in Jesus' absence. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you believe that? I feel like most, most of the time, at least sometimes during the day, I, I don't believe that. And the reason I know I don't believe that is because I keep trying to do things without the Holy Spirit. And they don't work. Because I don't really believe in my heart of hearts that I can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Jesus says he's a better source for us. He also says that the Holy Spirit is a better instructor. Look at this in John 14. Verses 25 to 26, it says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you see, Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was teaching people stuff, but they couldn't get it all yet. They couldn't understand it all. They couldn't absorb it all. It was too much. He's like, so it's better if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes because then he can be with you 24-7 and he can be your continual teacher. And when you don't get it today, he can come back tomorrow and the next day until you finally get it, right? He's like, you need a better teacher and he's going to teach you and remind you all of the things that you need to know. He talks about it again in John 16, verses 12 through 14. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus is like, I can't tell you everything right now. Your head will explode. Okay? He's like, I got more. You need to know more, but I can't tell you now. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, he's talking there primarily about the heart not the head. You see, when Jesus was there in the flesh and he was instructing the disciples, it was all head knowledge, right? He's teaching them, they're hearing it, they're understanding it, they're trying to learn it, but it wasn't getting to the heart. 
That's why they still didn't understand why he was going to be crucified. They're like, they didn't understand that he was actually, you know, the Messiah. Like, they, they were all mixed up. He's like, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you. Not just teach you, he will guide you into all truth. At the heart level. See, Jesus could never do that. He could never get in and change the heart. Because he was just a human in that moment. But the Holy Spirit can. He says this, he says, He will speak not on his own authority, but what is mine, he will declare it to you. That's so important, you need to understand. The Holy Spirit only ever speaks what Jesus speaks. He doesn't have his own material, he doesn't have his own book, he doesn't do his own thing. He just says whatever Jesus says. He's relaying Jesus' teaching to us, to our hearts, so that we can follow You know, here in St. Louis, we have uh, the Gateway Arch downtown. Right? We're really proud of the arch. We've got this national monument right here on the river, beautiful silver archway. And people love to go down there and see it. And it's all, anytime we have friends come down, they're like, oh, we want to see the arch. Right? It's, always, it's always a big deal. But did you know that there are hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights that are just meant to just shine on the arch? Right? And you've probably never even thought about them or looked at them because if they're doing their job correctly— you're not supposed to think about the lights. You're supposed to just think about the arch, right? It just illuminates the arch. But as soon as they stop working, you'd be like, oh, okay, that's a problem. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an illuminating work. His whole job is to just shine light on the person and the work of Jesus Christ so that we can see him and believe in him and follow him. He's always pointing us to Jesus. He's never pointing us to himself. We're not called to follow the Holy Spirit. We're called to follow Christ through the Holy Spirit. He instructs our hearts. He guides our hearts to follow Jesus. He's a better source. He's a better instructor. Number three, he's a better sanctifier. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is laying out for the church in Rome a teaching on how Christians can live a victorious life over sin. How can you be free over sin? How can you get free from sin in your life? And in this chapter, Paul, he refers to the Holy Spirit 22 times. 22 times in one chapter. He only refers to the Holy Spirit 10 times in the whole rest of the book. Which is pointing us to the reality that, hey, the Holy Spirit is key to conquering sin in our lives. That the only way that we can overcome sin and overcome temptation is by the Holy Spirit working in us, changing our heart, changing our desires, and leading us to follow Christ instead of following our sinful flesh. And so by this, we see that he is actually a better sanctifier of our hearts than Jesus is. Because again, Jesus is on the outside. He can't get in there and change your heart. But the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and he does the work of Christ in you in a greater way. He's a better sanctifier. And then lastly, he's a better sender. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus is giving his last words to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven to sit on the throne. He says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So this is Jesus, like the, the most important thing he wants to say to disciples before he leaves is like, hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, so just wait. Right? First assignment as disciples of Christ, 
do nothing. That's what he told them, just do nothing. Don't write any books yet, don't plant any churches yet, don't go make plans for anything. Just go sit and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because Jesus knows what he already told us back in John, which is, you can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Nothing of spiritual significance. He's like, so don't even try. <laughs> Just wait for the Holy Spirit. And he will come and do that greater work through you. And so we have this greater source in the Holy Spirit that leads us to greater work for the Lord. I'll give you two passages for this. Again, this is Jesus talking in both of these. In Matthew eleven eleven, he says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That is a statement right there. Right? He's like, hey, everybody ever born, nobody greater than the prophet John the Baptist. He's the best. But then he says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's confusing. Like, how can the least be greater than John? You just said he is the greatest. He's talking here about greater in the gospel. Because you see, John was before Jesus, so he only had like a partial picture of the gospel. He only had a partial, like he knew Jesus was the guy. He knew something was going to, God was going to somehow save people through Jesus. But he didn't know about the resurrection. He didn't know about the crucifixion, the resurrection. He didn't know all of that yet. He didn't have the full gospel that we have now. And so we are better equipped through the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to do a greater work than John could even do. Furthermore, Jesus in John 14, 12 says this. This is even more shocking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. He just said that believers of Jesus Christ, followers of Christ, will do greater works than Jesus did. That sounds crazy. How is that possible? And yet, we know it's true because Jesus said it. He says right here, he says, you'll do greater works because I'm going to the Father. And he just told us earlier that when he goes to the Father, what's going to happen? He's going to send Holy Spirit, right? He's like, so because I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's coming, you're going to do even greater works than I did because you're going to have the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. But it still is hard for us to believe. Like, I don't know about you, but I've never healed somebody. I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. If you came here that, for that this morning, sorry, I don't have that gift, okay? Like, I've never been able to do that. But the Bible says I'm going to do greater works than Jesus. Let me give you some examples, some biblical examples of this. First of all, think about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, all the disciples are there. They're in the upper room. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. He comes down. He fills 120 people with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do they do? They immediately go out and start preaching the gospel, and thousands of people are saved in one day. More people were saved and brought into the church in one day through the power of the Holy Spirit than in all of Jesus Christ's entire ministry. Greater work. Because it wasn't just one guy preaching, it was 120 people filled with the Spirit preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. From there we go deeper into Acts, we see churches being planted all over the known world. When Jesus was doing his ministry, it was all pretty much contained to just like the Palestine area. Right? Because again, he was just one guy, you could only do so much. 
But as the Holy Spirit indwells all of God's people, and they go out spreading the gospel and making disciples and planting churches, it becomes a greater work than even Jesus himself could do. And even with the miracles, a lot of times we'll look at Jesus in the, in the, in the gospels and be like, man, all these miracles, he's healing people, he's bringing people back to life, like it's just amazing. And all of that is amazing, and all that was a work of the Holy Spirit. And it was fantastic. But it wasn't the greater work. So even physical healing, as great as it is, it's temporary. Jesus could heal you today from whatever you're going through, but one day, your body's still going to pass away. But your soul will never pass away. And so preaching the gospel through the power of the Spirit and someone coming to salvation, someone coming to faith in Christ and being saved eternally, that is a greater work of the spirits than any miraculous healing that we could experience. And oftentimes we get that twisted. We think that the sign is the more greater work, but it's not. Salvation is the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. And he does that through us as we share the gospel with others. So Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than even I'm going to do because you have the Spirit. He's better for you than even I am. I wrote this sermon earlier this week, obviously, and I wrote this little illustration in here before, before last night happened, so just heads up. But how many of you have ever been without electricity? How many of you were without electricity last night, right? Um, so we were sitting there, you know, the lights go out, everything goes off. It's already kind of getting close to bedtime, so we put the girls to bed, and and we get everything set, and, we're, and so Courtney and I are sitting there in the living room in the dark, and we're like, now what? Right? Like, there, was, there was nothing. Like, we had nothing to do. Like, we couldn't watch TV, couldn't like, be on the internet, couldn't cook anything. Like, we, we didn't have any power. We didn't have electricity. We're like, man, our lives are boring. We can't, even do, like, can't do anything if, it's, if there's no electricity around here. Even, even with our phones, if like we have our phones, but if we use them now, I don't know when it's coming back on. The battery's going to die. We can't charge them again. And so then we're going to be like, that, nothing. We have become so dependent on electricity for our lives. Without it, it seems like, man, we can't do anything. That's the Holy Spirit for the Christian. We are fully, utterly dependent on the power of the Spirit to do anything for the Lord. We have to have that power running through us. We have to be tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit if we're going to do anything for the Lord. And so I'll go back to this again. We need to live dependent on the Spirit because we can do nothing without Him. We have to live dependent on the Holy Spirit because we can do nothing without him again. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that you can do nothing without the Holy Spirit? Are you living day to day like you can do nothing if you're not walking in the power of the Spirit? Totally dependent on him. He is eternally God. He is better than Jesus because we are dependent on his power. And lastly, number three, 
The Holy Spirit is the conduit of salvation. Three ways the Holy Spirit is tied to salvation. Number one, he calls us to salvation. John 6, 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus said, hey, no human, none of us, are coming to God on our own. Right? Romans 3 says the same thing. Romans 3.10. As it is written, none is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. On our own, in our flesh, as humans, we do not seek a relationship with God. We seek to rebel against God. And so that means that God is the one who has to initiate the relationship. He has to come to us and draw us to himself and into this relationship. And he does that through the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 5 through 6, he says, He saved us, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So right there, Paul's telling us, like, hey, God saves us through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit comes and he takes our heart and he starts to change it and open our eyes to who Jesus is so that we can then turn to him and put our faith in Christ. And it's not because of anything that we do, but because of God's great mercy towards us. He's not looking at you being like, man, that dude's awesome. I need him on my team. God's never said that. He's in like, man, you're really messed up, but you know what? I can help. Why don't you come over here? Let me help you with that. And he calls us to himself, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So he calls us to salvation. Number two, he conveys salvation. Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking about salvation. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So Jesus here, he's talking about two births. Birth of the water, birth of spirit. Um, We have all had the water birth. All right, that's just physical birth. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't be here. Okay, we've all been born the first way. That's done. He said, but you also need to be born of The Spirit, capital S. We need a spiritual birth. We need to be born again, he says, into this whole new creation, this whole new thing that God wants to do in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings new life. He's the one who changes our hearts and gives us salvation and leads us to follow Christ. He is the one who saves us. He conveys the salvation to our hearts that came through Jesus Christ on the cross. So he calls to salvation, he conveys salvation, and then number three, he confirms salvation. In Romans 8, verse 9, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to you to him. So two things we see there. The salvation means that you're no longer in the flesh, you're in the spirit. That's what salvation is. You are a new creation, you are a new person, you have been born again in the spirit. But then to to kind of emphasize it, he says anyone who does not have the spirit 
does not belong to Christ. No spirit means no salvation. I have people oftentimes ask me as a pastor, like, how do I know for sure that I'm saved? How do I know? Like, I said the prayer that one time. I, 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 all this stuff. I've been to church. I've walked the aisle. I got baptized. But how do I really know I'm saved? Paul tells us right here. Do you have the Spirit? That's how you know. Do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, changing you, leading you? If you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. Not yet. Can be. Through faith in Christ. But the way you know, the confirmation is the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit as a confirmation of your salvation? Have you experienced the life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit? Or as I would say, my very first question, have you met the Holy Spirit? Again, not just do you know something about him, like you heard some stuff from a preacher one time, or you read a book, or not just like do you, have you seen some of his works in other people, or you know his counterparts. No, no. Have you personally met the Holy Spirit? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Has he regenerated your heart and changed you? And are you experiencing the power of the Spirit in your life? Is he helping you walk with him every day? As you follow Jesus. Have you met the Spirit? That's what you need today. That's what you need to know today. Let's stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for our time together today. Thank you, God, for just another Sunday to come and to worship and to hear and to grow in your word. God, this morning we thank you for the great, great gift of the Holy Spirit. With the miraculous work that he does in our hearts, in our lives. What a gift. Thank you for filling us with your power. Thank you for filling us with your presence to help us follow Jesus. Thank you for not leaving us in our shame and in our sin, but calling us to yourself, changing us from the inside out. And God, I pray that right now, if there's anyone here today who still needs to experience that transformation, who still needs to be born again and to receive the Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, God, they would put their faith in Jesus. That they would understand that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that they would put their their faith in Jesus who died on the cross for their sins and is offering them forgiveness. They would turn from their sin and, and believe in Jesus, God. Holy Spirit, move in their heart right now. Call them to yourself. Lord, bring them to a place of faith. Holy Spirit, work. Work in our hearts. Work in our lives. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for giving us new life in you. We pray all this in Christ's name.